Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You all have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement. Help support the movement. We all believe in the freedom of movement. And that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 111. Today is October, Wednesday, October the 11th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Major news breaking out all across the world, and I'm not going to hold us up today. We're going to get right into the madness, and it is madness taking place. No doubt about that. Um, Conflict still brewing there in Israel. Between Israel and its would-be enemies there in the Middle East. And everybody right now is being forced to take a side in one of the oldest geopolitical conflicts there are. Um, And I say, you know, I say that's all a scam. You know, I say that's all... It's all a distraction. It's all a cover story. It's all a way to manipulate and mislead. And if if nothing else, if nobody else, the American people. The American people are are being misled. Um, As I said yesterday on Jason Whitlock, on on Fearless with Jason Whitlock, hopefully you caught that episode. He talked about it for an hour, and then he and I talked about it for about 30 minutes or so. Um. There's no way we can fight a forefront war on the Eurasian landmass. And furthermore, there's no way we can fight a forefront war on the Eurasian landmass while we're half staffed. <clears throat> and we are currently half staffed. Uh, not only are we half staffed from an, uh, an inventory standpoint, uh, not only are we half staffed because of the war we're already fighting in Ukraine and the, and the brewing conflict or the tension that exists in the South China Sea. We're half staffed because we have 2.5 million, which is a conservative number, but 2.5 million undocumented illegal immigrants flooding through our, our, our border. And in the most general sense, we're half staffed because the Biden administration has already shown themselves to be wholly inept to deal with these type of military conflicts. I mean, it was just 18 months ago that we had one of the most disastrous uh, one of the most disastrous exits uh, of, of a war, um, maybe in, in in American history, but certainly in recent American history there in Afghanistan. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of the weapons and equipment that we left there in Afghanistan made its way um, to Palestine, to, Ga- to Gaza, in the hands of Hamas to carry out some of these attacks. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of the equipment that we've uh, sent to U- the Ukraine uh, to fight that war made its way into these attacks. And, and there needs to be a serious forensic accounting of the shells and, and any other remnants of, of equipment that was used in this attack so we can find out uh, just just where these weapons came from and if, in fact, they were weapons that have been somehow um, commandeered, <laughs> uh, somehow acquired from the, the aid and supply that we've sent to the Ukraine. And we should do a forensic accounting of, of anyway, just to, just to be sure of where these weapons are coming from in general. But 
you know, and let, let's let's talk about it again uh, from from a fundamental standpoint, right? From a fundamental political standpoint, I'm not here to pick sides. I don't need to pick sides. We don't have a dog in this fight. And I know everybody wants to say, oh, well, Israel has been our longtime ally. And for sure, we support Israel. We've supported Israel. There's no doubt that that we should that we should support the people that we've supported. Part of the part of the deal is when you make a deal, you honor your deal. Now we can go back to 1945. We can go throughout the entire timeline and make an assessment of 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 the legitimacy of our relationship with Israel and what we've done in the name of that alliance in that region. We can all have that debate. We can all have that conversation. Right now, we're pot committed. I talked about it last night on Please Call Me Crazy in the episode with Professor Penn. For those of you out there who don't understand uh, the, the, the implications of our relationship with Israel, we're pot committed. We're pot committed right now. That's, that's, that's the reality. We're pot committed. We, we, we've invested a lot of time, energy, and more importantly, a lot of our geopolitical position is, is now anchored and predicated on that alliance, that relationship with Israel, uh, and, and our uh, footprint there in the Middle East and, and on the Eurasian landmass. So we're pot committed. What does the support look like? I mean, that's the important question. It's not whether we support them. It's not whether we, you know, some of this, you know, what, what, what I hate is that some of these support statements have become nothing more than PR propaganda, PR stunts, PR virtue signaling. I mean, everybody here in America can say, oh, we support Israel the same way we support the Ukraine, the same way we support Black Lives Matter, the same way we support George Floyd or in the other direction, we support Donald Trump or we support MAGA or America First or we support, we support. I mean, the nature of support, the very, the very cultural, uh, the, 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 the very cultural essence of the word support has become ultra lukewarm. What do you mean by support? And I think we need to have a very serious conversation right now about what we mean when we say support in the case of this war with Israel and its enemies. Are we going to send troops? Uh, are we going to send military aid in the in the form of cash are we going to send weapons are we going to send two aircraft carriers into the mediterranean what does support and aid look like and then we have to ask a very basic question a question that's responsible and rightful for us to ask how much is it going to cost because everything has a cost everything has a cost how much is this going to cost the american people is it feasible? Can we even do it? First of all, can Israel defeat its enemies there? Now, they've done it before. Remember, we just observed the, the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur uh, uh, War. And the Yom, you know, during the Yom Kippur War, Israel fought a, uh, fought a war on three fronts. And they were successful. And they were successful with, with a certain amount of aid from their allies, us being one of them. But they fought a war and they won a war. And as I said before on the podcast over the last couple of days, when you come to a disputed land, when you come to a disputed territory, when you come to a disputed object and two people want to fight to the death and, and somebody wins and somebody loses, 
that person now owns that piece of land. If somebody wants to contest that, that ownership, um, they all have the right. Anybody has the right to do that. I mean, I guess that's kind of um, something we've we've convinced ourselves we've gotten beyond in a post post questional global society. And in fact, the United Nations was supposed to be the peacekeeping organization that that in effect policed uh, all of the world's nations so that wars of conquest, wars of aggression didn't occur. Well, we know that um, the lines get blurred and the rules can bend depending on who uh, sits in the in the seat of power. And there's a certain level of hypocrisy and, and contradiction and moral hazard uh, that has taken place when when making those decisions. Was our war with Iraq a war of aggression? Was our war in Afghanistan a war of aggression? These are questions. Questions that we now need to ask because we're going back into a region that we just evacuated out of, that we just exited our military out of. Now we're going to potentially go back into the region uh, to fight a war in a conflict that has even more bad blood than the one we just left. Don't get me wrong. The Taliban has never had much love for uh, America, uh, except for when we bring a big enough black bag to pay certain Taliban leaders or warlords to do our bidding. I mean, then everybody seems to put away their sacred honor, faith, and principles and ideological, uh, you know, ideological beliefs uh, to to fatten their own pockets, right? But besides that, you know, the Taliban in general has never had much love for America, never had much love for the West in general. They reject the modernity of Western civilization. And some would argue they have a right to do so. They have a right to object to, to, to modernity. All of us can sit here and say, hmm, doesn't bode well for us. We don't like that idea. We, we want to become more and more modern. Um, but obviously they don't want to become more modern and they're willing to fight for it. And in some cases, like the one we just witnessed, certain individuals are willing to die for the things they believe in. Now that may seem like an extreme idea to the majority of us because we sort of live in a posh, posh, uh, comfortable, safe society. Well, we're now going to fight. And, and I don't say that, to, I don't say that to make a judgment one way or the other, whether you want to live modern or you want to live, uh, you know, in a, in a more uh, traditional way of the land. It's not my call to make. It really isn't. I think there's a way to live with sacred honor and righteousness in both cases. The point that needs to be driven home is these are the people that we're about to go to war with. And we have to understand who they are. We have to understand how they think and we have to understand what it is they want. I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna go to war and we're gonna be a peacekeeping organization or or peacekeeping uh military initiative, right? We're going to war to try and reestablish peace and order. In order to do, in order to do that, short of of killing every man, woman, and child, or at least every military age man in that culture, in those communities, in that part of the world, short of killing every last one of them or putting them all in prison, 
um, we plan to fight until they surrender or until they flee. Well, surrender can only come with stipulations. It often comes with stipulations. And, and those stipulations, you know, or you come to a truce, right? I mean, we've been working on peace in, in the Middle East for 40, 50 years now. And the great Donald Trump was able to bring together the Abraham Accords, which Bibi Netanyahu so conveniently took credit for in his recent talks that that really the Abraham Accords were his brainchild, that Donald Trump just had the, the juice to get it done. And in reality, I don't know. Maybe it was Bibi's brainchild. I wasn't there. Maybe it was somebody who works for Bibi. Who cares? The point is Donald J. Trump had the juice to get the Abraham Accords up and on the bar and have people uh, observe it and, and, and acknowledge it and start to adhere to it. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing to see the Abrahamic uh, faith, the, 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 the nations of Abrahamic faith come together in some type of peace treaty. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Something I don't think Donald Trump gets enough credit for. I mean, peace in the Middle East is one of the colloquialisms of Western society and has been for a very long time. So for Donald Trump to even, to even get close to bringing a peace treaty uh, with the implications of the Abraham Accords and have everybody have everybody criticize him as this agent of chaos and violence is, is about as, as contradictory a, a cultural narrative as we could possibly encounter. It really is. I mean, it's just silly. The man almost achieved peace in the Middle East. In fact, there was a lot of peace in the Middle East when he was in office. And everybody now is going to start to take an accounting of that. I mean, part of the momentum of the, the MAGA movement, part of the momentum of the nationalist populist movement. And I recently spoke to Esquire or, or Rolling Stone, a writer from Rolling Stone or Esquire, uh, about, about this very uh, fact. A lot of the momentum for Donald Trump has to do with seeing the, 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 the results of, of his opposition, seeing the ineffectiveness of his opposition. He is being judged by comparison. Now, they want to judge him in a vacuum. They want to judge Donald Trump as an individual, they want to make it about his personal life. They want to make it about his taxes, and they want to make it about how much Mar-a-Lago is worth, and they want to make it about, you know, uh, did he have a phone call and insight January 6th, and blah, 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 right? They want to make it about him personally. But this movement isn't about his personal character. It's not about his personal flaws. It's about his personal courage, and in some cases, his personal triumph, over a global elite, a global elite that supplement, that, that subsidize a national elite, an American elite that sell us out. And he was triumphant because make no mistake about it, nobody wanted to see him win in 2016. Nobody from the elite class, nobody there in DC, nobody from the corrupt establishment wanted to see Donald Trump win. By the time he caught fire, by the time the momentum was rising and the American nationalist populist movement uh, uh, was, was really taking hold in, in that election cycle, everybody knew what he stood for. Everybody knew what was coming. Everybody knew what the platform was. And they were all terrified. And as soon as he won, they, st they did not stop. They did not stop for a single second of any day to try and bring him down. And they still haven't stopped. 
The problem with it is he didn't win in 2020 on paper, on their paper. He won in 2020. We all know it. But it's actually an advantage. It ends up being an advantage. Now, stolen elections and rigged elections, they, actually, they, they, they obviously have consequences, right? And we're seeing some of the ramifications of, of that right now. But in the long run, in terms of Donald Trump's 2024 candidacy in this next election cycle, it actually ends up being a positive because he's judged by comparison. Oftentimes, people don't vote for the person they like. They vote for the person that they don't like. They vote for the person that they don't want to see in office. And you can't, you, you would be hard-pressed to find me a person who would claim to want Joe Biden in office purely on political merit. They may accept his presidency or his uh, being elected on ideological alignment. Uh, uh, you know, political, ideological alignment, but not political merit. The border's wide open. We had, a, we had a catastrophic exit from Afghanistan. One that has, you know, fallen to the wayside in terms of our, our cultural memory and, and, and mainstream narrative. I mean, the mainstream media did very well to, to, to kind of sweep the whole Afghanistan exit under the rug. Now it's going to come back to the, to the limelight because we're back in the same region, right? Um, the border's wide open. The economy is having huge, huge problems. They can tell you, that they can tell you whatever lie they want to from the podium there at the White House, and, and Jean-Pierre can come up there and, and, and talk about equity and inclusion and, and you know, democracy and, and, and environmentalism and climate change all she wants to. If the interest rates jump to 13%, companies are going to go bankrupt. Now, if they want to walk down the street to the Federal Reserve and tell the Federal Reserve, hey, you need to flow to some cash or else the American people are going to find out real quick just how bad we've done with this economy, they may be able to, to do that. And the Fed and the rest of the international banking cartel may make an accommodation and a, and a concession um, for, for that that project, right, for that that type of uh, that type of uh, workaround, possible, possible. In fact, it's probable. My money is they will. My money is my money is on they'll find a way to kick the can, which in effect they kind of just did with the CR bill. They'll find a way to kick the can so that the. so that the ax really doesn't fall on the American people, so that the American people don't realize just how bad the economy has actually gotten. And you need to watch for that because they may, in fact, be setting us up to let Donald Trump win and then have the ax of economic crisis come down in the first year or so of his term as to, as to keep him busy so he can't, go to war on the administrative state the way that he has claimed he will. All of these things to consider. All of these things to consider right now. But first and foremost, we cannot win a four-front war on the Eurasian landmass, and they want us to pick a side. 
I don't have a side. My side is with the American people. As a future uh, uh, elected official, as a future elected representative of the American people, of we the people, my interest is the American people. My interest is the well-being and prosperity of the American people, of American citizens. And so I'm open to, 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 to discussing what needs to be done for that, for that goal to be met, for us to maintain a, a, a level, a, a, an even level of, of prosperity and well-being or increasing the prosperity and well-being. But under no circumstances can America lose any more of its prosperity and well-being at the behest of an initiative where we're all global citizens. We're not global citizens. We're not global citizens. We should not view ourselves as global citizens. We are citizens of a nation. Our citizenship is national. It is not global. And as soon as you start to believe it's global, you find yourself in a forefront war on the Eurasian landmass. I mean, the conventional wisdom, conventional wisdom, military, military wisdom, conventional military wisdom says you never get in a land war in Asia. You never get in a land war in Asia. They want to fight three wars in Asia. Four wars, maybe five wars. I mean, we don't even know at this point. Israel has a potential two-front war going right now, right? Now now they're taking fire from Syria, supposedly. Now they're getting mortar fire from Syria. And the UAE steps in. I mean, this was interesting. The UAE warned uh, Bashar al-Assad not to get involved in the conflict. I mean, how much juice does the United Arab Emirates have to make a public declaration uh, such as such as that? I mean, there's so there are so there's so much politics. There, there's so much there's so much going on. So much complex complex relationships going on in that region. It's hard to see all the moving parts. But one thing is for certain: when the United States sails a second aircraft carrier. a a carrier group into the Mediterranean. We're gearing up to go to war with somebody. We're gearing up to go to war with somebody. My guess is Iran. But who knows? Who knows what could break out from here? Who knows what could break out from here? We don't know. As the great Steve Bannon says, the fog of war. The law of uncertain outcomes. We're in it now. We've been in it. And then this, and you could, you could make a strong case. You could make a very strong case that this is an extension of the war there between uh, Russia and Ukraine. The Iron Triangle, Russia, Iran, China. They're all buddy-buddy. They're all working together. The question is, where do we fall? Where do we fall on the deal? People want to tip, make it seem like it's a given where we fall on the deal, but there's nothing, there's nothing uh, 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 given about where we fall. Again, we have a president who is, 
who has shown himself to be very pro-Iran by many metrics, Barack Hussein Obama showed himself to be very pro-Iran by many metrics. We gave $6 billion to Iran. What did we think they were going to use the money for? What did Joe Biden, I mean, let Joe Biden come forward right now and explain how we're going to go to war with, how can you reconcile that we're going to now need to have a full-on military response, a full kinetic military response to Iran on behalf of Israel, and we just handed them $6 billion worth of black bag money. And it was a black bag. And they could say it was for NGOs or humanitarian purposes or whatever they want to say. If you allocate $6 billion to a nation who you think is nefarious or malicious or, or, or terroristic, if you allocate that kind of money to them, they can take $6 billion they already have and allocate, allocate it elsewhere and wait for that money to come in. Simple. Basic. Basic, basic rules. Basic, basic, uh, um, you know, basic things to see when you talk about governance. Yes, we feel terrible for the people there in Israel. We still want to see more. We still want to see more, um, more hard evidence of what took place. Because we're all smart enough now to know that we can be shown, there's what we're shown, and then there's what actually happens. We'd like to see more hard evidence. We'd like to get a better, a better understanding of what took place there again. It's very hard for me to believe that the IDF would take the morning off to observe Jewish holiday. And I understand that, hey, certain cultures have their faith practices and their, their, their uh, you know, their traditions. And it's great to observe tradition. But the, the global narrative sort of says that, that Israel is, is at all times in danger of being invaded. At all times. I mean, 24-7, 365 days a year, Israel's in enemies in the, in, the, in the surrounding region are just waiting to pounce. They're waiting for any sign of, of weakness. They're waiting for any crack in the wall, any, any chink in the armor. They're waiting for any opportunity to be able to exact evil, wicked chaos on Israel. If that's the case, it's, it's, again, very hard for me to believe that they would take off, that the entire Israeli defense ministry uh, and, and their, their, their military arm and their intelligence arm were not, not only did they take off, but that they weren't on high alert at the wall. And the next, the next issue that I have with this whole story is why all these Israeli nationals, all these Israeli citizens, who supposedly have all served time in the military there, why none of them were armed? Why none of them, uh, you know, uh, had any uh, weapons or, or didn't seem like they had any training? Why was their guard down? I mean, this is an intelligence failure. This is a national intelligence failure in Israel of, of uh, you know, unbelievable, unbelievable proportion. 
the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. I mean, you get invaded on 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 a day or in a time period that is observing the last time you were invaded and you're not on high alert when you're surrounded by your enemies. I mean, let's just say here in America, let's just say, for example, here in America, there was a tradition where on Cinco de Mayo, the Mexicans had invaded us 60 years ago. Cinco de Mayo is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a holiday uh, that, that you know, has a bunch of cultural significance to it, but also is a time where uh, Mexico had invaded America unsuccessfully. Don't you think the spare resources that we have around national security, homeland security, would be allocated to watch that border for any rogue Mexican, you know, uh, groups that may want to want to relive that invasion, that attack. I mean, is that not a prudent thing to, to, to think? And again, again, we're talking about a country that is very, very small, very small country. Israel is very small country. Surrounded by its enemies. And nobody's watching. Nobody's watching the wall. I mean, forget the forget the satellite intelligence. Forget the forget the uh, you know the digital surveillance, right? And, and that that part of it. Let's just set that aside. Digital surveillance, cyber surveillance, these sort of things. Computer surveillance. Let's set that aside. Where were the people on the wall watching the wall? How many, can we get a number, can we get a head count of, of how many Hamas terrorists that paraglided over were, were lost before they made, before they, uh, you know, before they touched down on, on Israel soil? How many were shot out of the sky? I mean, is there any accounting of what, of what the counter, uh, what the counter attack or the counter defense was of this invasion? Because from everything we've, we've been shown, it was just an all-out slaughter. I mean, we're talking about Israel, supposed to have one of the best militaries in the entire world, supposed to have one of the, the best defense systems and the best intelligence arms uh, of the entire world. There has been a serious failure of intelligence at the very least. And it reflects back upon us here at America. And it reflects upon the entire narrative about, about military-industrial complex being something you should accept and pay into voluntarily to keep you safe. And this has become a real schism in the conservative movement because some people see Muslims and, and, and Islam and, and have seen it since 2001 where we went to war with the access of evil. Some people see Islam as the greatest existential threat to Western society. Free People Radio thanks you for watching and listening tonight. And this is Professor Penn here for GhostBed. That's GhostBed.com. So let me tell you why I love this product. Professor Penn has problems sleeping. That's right. I have problems sleeping, and you might too. So there is nothing more important than getting a mattress, a mattress that helps me sleep. That's why I love GhostBed.com. Go there. Go to GhostBed.com, upward slash Royce, and use promo code Royce for 50% off on the whole catalog. And when I say the whole catalog, they got a lot more than mattresses. They got sheets. They got pillows. 
And what makes it super cool for me personally is they got super cooling technology that helps you get through the night without sweat. And that's right. There's nothing worse than waking up in a pool of my own sweat. That's why I love Ghost Bed. Their products help me sleep through the night cool and safe and calm. So go to ghostbed.com, upward slash Royce, promo code Royce for 40% off site-wide. And thank you very much for watching. I see corrupt elites within our own borders. I see corrupt elites from, from here in America with passports, with passports and in some cases, high-level security clearance. I see these people as the greatest existential threat to Western society. Feel free to disagree with me. I get it. I get it. Everybody wants to have their faith war when it's convenient. Everybody wants to have their faith war when it's time to, to, to talk about certain certain fights on the world stage because it's, it's an easy default. It's an easy default to say, ah, the Muslims. Just like it's an easy default to say, ah, the Jews. And just like it's an easy default for Protestants to say, ah, the Catholics. Or the Catholics to say, ah, the Protestants. Or, or whoever else. It's an easy default to go to the, go to the, uh, the, the divide of faith, spiritual divide on the world stage. Very easy default, you know. The Sunnis will say, oh, it's the Shiites. Or the Shiites will say, oh, it's the Sunnis. And so on and so forth. But what is the real danger? Who is the real juice? Who, who can run a scam of this magnitude? I mean, let's, let's assume that there are forces behind the scenes pushing us to world war. Because after all, war is good business. I mean, it always has been good business. And short of, of a, a, a spiritual awakening of, of, of humanity, it always will be good business. War makes for great, great business. High profits. Let's say there are evil forces behind the scene pushing us towards world war. Who has the juice to do it? Who has enough juice to pull something like that off? These are the questions we should ask. These are the questions we should ask before we, before we close our eyes and, 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 and run into another, another war in the Middle East. What's going on here? I mean, let's just ask some basic questions. And, you know, when you look out on your social media feed, when you're at your job, when you're, when you're at your, your, your local watering hole, when you, when you go to your kid's school and, you know, PTO meeting or, or whatever the case may be, when, when you're in your community and you hear other people of your community start to, to small talk about world politics because, I mean, that's what Americans have been trained to do. When you hear that happen, when you witness that happen, ask yourself, what is the common narrative that continuously pops up on the surface of those encounters. What's the small talk position? Is it the Palestinians are oppressed, and this is the, this is the language of the oppressed? Terrorism is the language of the oppressed. Protest is the language of the oppressed. Rioting is the language of the, the oppressed. Is it support Israel? Is it defend Israel at all costs? 
that the Palestinians want the Israelis dead, want the Jews dead, that the Muslims there in the Middle East all want the Jews dead. What is what is this? What is the the, the most common narrative that pops up in the surface encounters in your local community? And by local community, I, I mean your social media feed too, because that's a form of 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 local community as well. It's local to you. What's the narrative? Go look at what the public figures and the celebrities are are telling you the narrative is. This morning, you know, this morning, I had to have a a conversation with a number of people who I greatly respect. A number of people who I greatly respect and told them, you need to go listen to Steve on this one. Go listen to the great Steve Bannon on this one. Before you jump out there with a position, Go listen to the great Steve Bannon talk about this issue. Very measured, very matter of fact. Very measured, very matter of fact. You've all heard him. We need answers. We can't just, we, we can't impulsively and, and, and out of emotion or, or former allegiance waltz ourselves into to any number of, of brewing military conflicts around the world. We can't do it. It's not wise. It's not wise to go guns blazing. One, we don't know if we can win the war. And whether or not we can win the war should bear a lot of weight on whether or not we fight the war. Sun Ju, know thyself, know thy enemy. Can we win this war? Know the terrain. I mean, th- there are so many, so many, uh, tried and tested uh, approaches to, to battle and war and military that, that has made the American military great. It's made Western militaries great in, in, in times past. And for some reason, we seem to have abandoned all sense of, 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 uh, of conventional wisdom when it comes to military conflict in recent years, in, in recent times. Let's just march into any war, any place on impulse on emotion. First it was the Ukraine. Now it's Israel. What's going to be next? Taiwan? And then after that, South Korea? I said the other day that I would explain the difference between South Korea and and the other examples. Uh, We have 50 to 75,000 troops there stationed in South Korea at all times which tells you how much we view North Korea as as a threat, as a perpetual threat. Which doesn't mean that we won't go to war right there, which doesn't mean that that North Korea won't get froggy and start an all-out war with with America right there in South Korea, on, on the Korean border. North Korea playing at the behest of China. North Korea doing China's bidding. Iran doing China's bidding. Russia, in many ways, probably doing some of China's bidding. And the Russia-China one is interesting because we can't know how much of communist Russia really bled over onto China or how much communist China is now influencing Russia or if the Russians have have, uh, abnegated their, their communist past altogether.
Maybe Russia and China's alliance is strictly political and geographical and not ideological. Many things to consider. All things we should consider. All things that your leaders should come before you and discuss in front of you with great transparency. And when they talk about these things in secret, when they talk about these things in secret, because if, if, if they were to talk about them in the open, then our enemies would, would know what we think, what we're planning. It just bastardizes your citizenship. And what they always fail to tell you, what they always fail to emphasize, we have the ability, we have the strategic advantage and ability to be able to speak to the American people with some level of transparency and truth because the reality is none of these countries are coming to America's shore to occupy or invade us here. They're not doing it. You can't, you can't occupy America. You cannot occupy America here in America. The level of weaponry, the level of technology, the level of, of robotic and artificial intelligence you would need, which is now being developed but not here yet, to so we think, to occupy America is at minimum 10 years into the future. And I say that number to be hyper-cautious, but it may be further out than that. Can't really tell. I mean, it's hard to know what Raytheon and, and Boeing and Lockheed and some of these other international players that are dealing with artificial intelligence and robotics, what they really have, especially when it comes to um, uh, advanced uh, uh, aircraft technology, airspace technology. It's very hard to know what people have. And it's not until a war breaks out that, that we're really going to know what everybody has. And there's a huge elephant in the room. And, uh, you know, we can act like it doesn't exist, but there's a huge elephant in the room. And the UFOs and the UAP is not, is not unrelated to the, the, the overall tension that's starting to brew uh, in, the, in, the, on the international, uh, in the international community. Something is up there in, 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 in the sky. We're seeing it. We're tracking it. Everybody's claiming they don't know what it is. That alone that alone is, is creating a certain level of tension in the international community. And for good reason, because if I'm India, if I'm China, if I'm Russia, if I'm Israel, if I'm Pakistan, if I'm Iran, if I'm France, Germany, if I'm America, I'm looking at these flying objects and I'm thinking that could be the next springboard to world domination. Transparency. Transparency. Why is there such a lack of transparency? Why do international bodies such as the United Nations and, and, and other you know, peacekeeping organizations or initiatives not have the juice to, to, to foster transparent conversations between countries, between nations? Secrecy. I mean, secrecy leads to war. You can look at your own relationships in your personal life between you and your spouse or you and your children and, and, and see the evidence that when too much secrecy exists, 
You, you can't have a healthy relationship. And not only can you not have a healthy relationship, an optimal relationship, before you know it, the, the relationship decays into, into utter chaos and resent and, and eventually, even in, in your immediate familial relationships, violence. There's no, it's no different on the world stage. It's no different on the world stage. The world stage is a very delicate balance of, 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 of reassurances. Diplomacy and reassurances. But before you can have diplomacy and reassurance, you have to have a, a genuine baseline of, of understanding and truth and trust. And we don't have it. And it's not that we can't have it. We just have such a radical crisis of leadership that nobody wants to be the one who, who got it wrong. Nobody wants to be the one who, who got tricked. Nobody wants to be the one who, who made the wrong choice. And it's reflected here in our American political culture. I see people all the time. I hear people say all the time, oh, why would I vote? The system is rigged. Or, or why would you run against Amy Klobuchar? She's beaten the last two, three candidates by a landslide. Uh, us athletes, we think differently about these sort of things. In basketball, we have a, 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 cultural, a, a cultural saying, um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And it's a, it's a cultural saying that we tell the young children or, or, or you know, developing basketball players about their self-confidence. Yes, we want you to share the ball. We want you to move the ball. We want you to be unselfish with the ball. We want you to move the ball early. We want you to pass the ball and get it to people early, on time, early and on time, of course. But we also want you to be aggressive and look to take shots when, when, they, when, you know, when they present themselves. And you can't be afraid to miss. I mean, regardless if you want to take the shot or not, your mentality should be, I'm not, if, if I'm not taking the shot, it's not because I'm afraid to miss. If I'm not taking the shot, it's because I see something better, something that could, that could have a greater benefit to the game at this very moment, to my team at this very moment. That's the mentality. If you're not taking a shot because you're afraid to miss, then you're afraid to do anything. You're, afraid to, you're probably afraid to do, to do other things in the game. You're living in a, in a fear-based mentality. And we hear and see that in our politics. Don't run against this person. Don't run against that person. The RNC is going to tell you this district's too blue, that district's too blue. Don't run against the establishment. They have too much of a stronghold in this place and that place. And on the international stage, it's the same exact thing. Oh, we can't have transparent conversations. We can't have real, real transparent conversations on the international stage because we all have too many enemies. Okay, fine. <clears throat> if the level of hatred and distrust has really grown to that level <clears throat> where we can't have honest, trans honest and transparent conversations with our citizens of our respective countries or across the table um, at, at, at these international summits and peacekeeping, uh, you know, peacekeeping 
gatherings. If we can't do that, everybody go back to their respective corner. Everybody go back to their respective corner until we can come together at a time in the future with more confidence in how we're dealing with each other. I mean, why come together at all? Why come together in the G20? Why come together in the United Nations? Why come together at the World Economic Forum or any of these other international uh, peacekeeping, uh, you know, globalist uh, initiatives? If it doesn't give us enough surety, if it doesn't give us enough reassurance to be able to go home to our respective nations and speak with some transparency. Do you do you are you happy with the level of transparency from your government today? Drop it in the comments. I'm asking. I'm, I'm honestly asking. Are you are you satisfied with the level of, of transparency from your government today? Wherever you are in the world, I know we have people in the audience that don't live in America, wherever you are in the world, America, Canada, the Philippines, I, I don't know, wherever. Are you satisfied with the level of transparency from your government as it is today? When you really think about your citizenship, when you really think about your individual standing beneath the, 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 the size, the sheer size of, of, of your current government, do you feel satisfied with the level of transparency? Here in America, here in the West, I know what the answer is. At least I hope I know what the answer is. You should not be satisfied with the level of transparency. In fact, the level of secrecy has reached such a, such a profound height. The level of secrecy is so deep here in the West, and specifically in America, I don't see how, how you can view your government's actions or their words as legitimate at all which brings great distrust in the narrative about this Israel situation. And I think Jason Whitlock laid that out beautifully last night in his hour-long mono to start Fearless. If you haven't already, go subscribe to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. And I respect and appreciate that Jason is going to talk about world issues. God bless him. Amen to that. Amen. Amen, my friend. Welcome. And it's not that he hasn't talked about world issues. But another, another, another sign, another uh, cultural norm of, of radical self-doubt is this idea that you, as an individual, need to be uh, credentialized to, to, to talk about these issues. That your credentials need to, need to uh, validate your, your ability to talk about these issues with any with any accuracy. Why? Why do you need to be credentialed to talk about these issues? Many of the people who are in power right now will come right out to the podium and tell you, oh, we have no clue what's going on. I mean, when it really boils down to it, we don't know. We're credentialized. We got four degrees. We went to Yale or, 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 or Harvard or, or West Point or, or you know, uh, whatever other, you know, MIT, you know, pick one. We went to one of these prestigious schools with, with tons of experts that, that graduate, tons of experts, and yet nobody can have transparent conversations. Yes, we have a crisis of leadership, but I'm also starting to recognize a serious crisis of, of credentials, of credentialization. 
Do you notice that? I mean, do you notice that that the people who they say have the best credentials often end up telling us, we, we don't know what's going on, you know? Have, have to wait, you know, wait and see what happens. Well, while you guys wait and see, it's it's prudent for all American citizens to take their citizenship back into their own hands, back into their their own decision-making and thought-making process, and ask the right questions. Start to prepare your questions for your leaders. Ask me tough questions. That's why I'm going to start doing a Saturday, uh, a Saturday evening show with call-ins. I invite, I invite the opportunity to answer tough questions from my future constituents, from my audience members, from people who contribute to the, to the Free People Radio cause, the Free People Radio uh, uh, agenda. People who claim to fight in the interest of freedom, I revel at the opportunity to ask your questions in an unscripted and organic way, live in real time. And all of your leaders who don't like that, all of your leaders who, who fail to show the courage and the will to do that, you should question them. It is an indictment of leaders. It is an indictment of people who want to be leaders that don't revel at the opportunity to constantly be questioned by the people they mean to lead. And now there is a, there, there, there is a, a level of, of subordination and, and rank and file and, and uh, hierarchy and, and a chain of command that has to be observed in a time like now uh, where we're going to war. And the efficiency, the efficiency of, of the chain of command often determines who wins wars. And so we're in the middle of battle and you ask me a question about my favorite cereal and you, you indict me because my favorite cereal is Cinnamon Toast Crunch and you think Raisin Bran is more healthy, although they're both made by General Mills. That's not my point. The point is, that's probably a bad time to ask me a question. And there are going to be certain questions at certain times that I just won't answer because, hey, I don't find them to be relevant. And when that time comes, I'm not going to try and dance around the question or tap or, or you know, or, or uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to try and bullshit the answer. I'm just going to say it. It's not relevant. I don't think that's relevant. It's not relevant. I mean, don't you just kind of have this distrust of our American leadership, our American elite, lead, the, the, the elite American leadership, uh, just because of the way they sort of talk? I mean, I listen to the way all these people talk, and I, and I think to myself, I hope I don't sound like that. And people say, you know, uh, you don't have any notes when you do the podcast. Why do I need notes? I'm, if, if we were sitting here together in the room and you were in one of these chairs here, one of these Hebrews chairs, you'll see the, the Hebrews podcast set up soon. But if you were sitting in one of these chairs, I wouldn't have notes. Now, if I was going to ask you questions, if I was going to interview somebody, I may have some some pre you know some some pre made or pre prepared notes so that I can remember the questions that I want to get to. But people who speak authentically, people who speak from the heart, they don't use notes. I have a problem with the I have a problem with the acceptance that all of these political leaders, political pundits, uh, uh, political spokespeople get up before American citizens. With notes. I have a problem with people who read speeches from paper. 
There has not been a political speech I've given that I wrote down and brought up before the American people. I reject it. And listen, I know there are some great speech writers, and I know there's been some great speeches written, JFK, Dr. Martin Luther King, and the list goes on and on and on, speeches that are to be remembered. They were beautiful. They were poetic. They were, they were potent. They were emotionally uh, invigorating. They, they were inspirational. I get it. I understand all of that. The time for speeches is done. You know, beautiful speech making is a luxury, in my view. Eloquent, beautiful, prestigious speech writing is a luxury. It's a luxury we don't have. Let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about the issues. My teammate right now is in Israel. I had to tell him yesterday, come home. Come home, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yesterday I said on the podcast, let's evacuate Israel. And then you got all the people say, oh, evacuate Israel. That's such a terrible thing to say. Why would you say that? Let's be serious here. If Israel can defend itself, if we really believed that Israel could defend itself, we would not have sailed two aircraft carrier groups into the Mediterranean. What that tells me is that the entire narrative around our aid and support for Israel for the last 60 years has been just as incompetent, just as misinforming as much of the other parts of the narrative we've been told for the last 60 or so years. The entire narrative of the post-World War II democratic liberal order may in fact be a half a house of cards. And if that's the case, I'm worried for the people there in Israel. I'm worried for our ability to actually be able to support and defend them in a military conflict. I'm worried for the people there in Palestine. I'm worried for somebody behind the scenes being smart enough to provoke Israel to, to go into Palestine in a, in a brutal way that they have not done up, uh, up until this point, to date. And there is a more brutal way they could go into Palestine. Don't, don't be mistaken here. I know Israel, I, I'm, look, I'm not one of these shills that's going to tell you uh, one, one flavor of the, of, the, of the day or the other for political expediency. I don't believe in that. I'm well aware of the propaganda coming out of Israel about the conflict between them and Palestine. Well aware. Well aware of the presupposed position of many people here in the West, but more specifically, the conservative and neocon movement. I'm well aware of the propaganda. And I'm well aware that there are a number, a number of human rights violations that Israel has committed there in Palestine. I'm well aware of it. But I'm also well aware of the, the basic and fundamental reality that there's an estimated 2 million Palestinians that live in Palestine, in Gaza, right now. And if Israel really wanted to, supposedly, per the narrative, and I guess we'll see, because I, I think that's what we're talking about doing here in the West, which is scary in and of itself, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but if Israel really wanted to, per the narrative, they could completely annihilate all of Gaza. 
turn it into a parking lot. I'm hearing people who were elected into office having serious conversations with, with uh, you know, euphemisms about turning a place into a parking lot that has two million people living in it. And they say Donald Trump is violent. And they say Donald Trump is crazy. They say Donald Trump is immature and that he can't be trusted with the nuclear codes. But as soon as a, a, a skirmish breaks out between Israel and Palestine, they're talking about killing two million Palestinians and turning their, their little piece of land into a parking lot. Does that not disturb anyone else? Am, am I, am, am I anti-Semitic or anti-Israel for saying that that type of language disturbs me? I mean, in my spirit, I don't have to be Muslim or Palestinian or a, 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 an, an, an Arab sympathizer to be disturbed by that type of language. That type of language disturbs me, and it should disturb all of you. We're going to turn a place into a parking lot with two million people living in it? Well, we assume that they're all terrorists. I mean, haven't we been down this road before? And don't get it. See, and here's here's what needs to be understood. This is how the left has tripped, tripped us up before. This isn't the first time this has happened. And this isn't the first time that an anti-war movement has been has been built off of the 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 political impulse of the neoliberal and neocon military industrial complex. And, and behind the scenes, behind the scenes, the, the humanitarian sympathy, the humanitarian, uh, uh, um, the humanitarian sort of uh, narrative that's built up in the left political, uh, in, the, in the left's political framework of the world is, is and has often been based on anti-war rhetoric. It's just right now the, the, the left lives in, in, a, in a peculiar position where they're obviously pro-war with Ukraine and Russia, but they're in some cases anti-war when it comes to Israel and Palestine or, or Israel turning Palestine into a parking lot. If they could right now, the left would be completely in support of the Ukraine turning Moscow or Russia into a parking lot but everybody knows they can't achieve it. Israel turning Gaza into a parking lot seems like a feasible, uh, a feasible uh, reality. Seems like something that could be accomplished. So there are people who are rightfully, hey, wait a second, we can't do that. Contradiction. Incongruence. Hypocrites. Liars. Malice. Evil. Evil is at play, and, and, and evil spiritedness is not is not always direct. It's not always one to one. It's 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 not always the 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 bad angel or demon on the shoulder that can that can um, convince you to do something against good nature, good human nature, or God's will. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes evil can create the, the general circumstance of, of mutually assured destruction. Not only mutually assured destruction in the physical sense, but mutually assured destruction in the spiritual sense. 
my Jewish brothers and sisters should, should heed this warning. My Muslim brothers and sisters should heed this warning. Where are the talks of the Abraham Accords now? Where are they? They can't speak about it. They can't talk about the Abraham Accords with a full throat. Why? Because it would support Donald J. Trump's leadership. It would vindicate Donald J. Trump's presidency. It would affirm Donald J. Trump's effectiveness as a leader. Is he perfect? No. Is he flawed? Yes. Yes, as to are we all, obviously. Obviously, if we need, if we need any greater example of, 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 of human flaw and the conundrum of the human condition, we need not look much further than Israel and Palestine, right? Right, there's something to human nature that has this, 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 this tendency to, to clash with one another instead of love one another. And the one man who's had a, 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 a stellar, stellar, has a stellar resume with, with creating peace where, where peace was, was not formerly um, even, even, even considerable gets all the rap for being uh, crazy, violent, dangerous. The FBI has, has, has now described and identified Donald Trump's movement as a threat to national security. How can you say that Donald Trump is a threat to national security, but you want to take us into four land wars on the Eurasian landmass? You want to take us to four wars in Asia, four land wars in Asia that would almost surely break the American economy completely, eventually. Is that not a matter of national security? Is the implosion of the American economy not a matter of national security? So whoever promotes these wars those people, those people are a threat to national security. Those people are a threat to our national security. And that's one of the that's one of the number one, that's one of the number one attributes I looked at as I started to understand and believe in Donald Trump's ability to lead in this moment in time. And understand he only has another four years. And then we got to figure out who's next. I don't know. I don't know who's next. We need not look that far ahead. Let's talk about and deal with right now. Nationalist, populist, yes, I'm a populist to, you know, by default. Vox populi, of course. But what really what really won me over about Donald Trump is his ability to strike deals that created peace, if even temporarily, if even for the wrong reasons. Blessed is the peacemaker, for he can be called a child of God. Don't talk to me about how Christian he is or isn't. 
go back and look through the Bible and see examples of men, see examples of men and even prophets who at certain times in their life were not on a righteous path, but still had great greatness to contribute in the plan of God Almighty. Blessed is the peacemaker, for he can be called a child of God. Did Donald Trump not have a better relationship with China? Did Donald Trump not have a better relationship with Russia? Did Donald Trump not have a better relationship with North Korea? Did Donald Trump not have a better relationship with, with the Iranians? Did Donald Trump not broker a better relationship with the Saudis? The only people who seemed to be upset, greatly upset with Donald Trump on the international stage were the Europeans. Outside of Europe, Donald Trump had great uh, 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 support from the international community. And it, it still sings today. There are still leaders all around the country who you can catch, if you can dig through the algorithm, you can catch them saying, man, things were a lot better when Donald J. Trump was in office there in America. There's no international consensus about Donald Trump being a threat to national security in America or global security around the world. There's no consensus about that. They tell you you're a global citizen. They tell you they'll represent you on the international stage and they'll speak for you on behalf of, of, of they'll speak on behalf of your citizenship and your opinion here at home about Donald Trump to world leaders. They'll tell the world leaders what the American people have decided about their leadership and their direction and future. That's above your pay grade. That's for the elite, highly credentialed and educated to sort out. And look where we're at. We are plummeting into world war. Plummeting, free fall. We are in a free fall to world war. The edge of a blade. Single thread. That's how, that's how fragile, that's how brittle the piece is. Right now. And hey, maybe it's all, maybe it's all a smoke, smoke and mirrors. Maybe it's all a scam. Maybe the whole narrative is to build propaganda. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm, I, I, I said on the show many times over the last couple of weeks, they're going to make you beg for three things, Come push comes to shove. They're going to make you beg for three things, push come to shove. Plague, they're going to make you beg for vaccines. Economic hardship, they're going to make you beg for universal basic income. All-out violence, chaos, and war, they're going to make you beg for martial law. And you will beg. You will beg. If I take away anything from what happened in Israel, I am reassured more than ever that all of us here in America should recognize the importance of, of the ability to defend ourselves in a moment of crisis. So who are these Democrats? Who are these Democrats that, that want to condemn Hamas but back BLM and then BLM supports Hamas in the attacks because they're being oppressed and, and Ilhan Omar calls them war crimes, which in a way 
Although I think Ilhan Omar is a sellout and a, and a puppet and, and disgusting for her political beliefs. If you lay down enough rolling thunder there in Gaza and kill two million people trying to weed out Hamas, a very small terrorist group in that population, I guess you have been, I, I guess you fell for the trap. I guess you fell for the PR trap. And that is a PR trap. Understand it. Understand it is a PR trap to suggest that Israel turned Gaza into a parking lot. And all it's going to do is bolster, bolster the democratic liberal narrative around the world about national borders, about sovereignty, about protecting and defending yourself, about, uh, uh, you know, the Second Amendment. All it's going to do is bolster that. And this is how wicked they are. This is how brilliant they are. This is how, this is how evil they play. Sometimes the war isn't just to come head-to-head -head out there in the battlefield. Sometimes there's an asymmetric war, and we are living in a time of asymmetric warfare. Sometimes it's about laying a trap. And I, I want to explain this. I thought about this the other day to explain to, to the audience here that after the United Nations was created and, and, the, the, pact and, and the pact or agreement about wars of aggression was, was constituted, um, the United Nations has become an international governing body to, to adjudicate when violence in war is moral and immoral. Now, you can argue that that's an unreasonable and, and illegitimate um, power or judgment for the United Nations to have anyway, uh, especially under the premise that they gained such power and, and, and more importantly, under the current conditions where they have an oversized influence, it would seem, from the CCP. Because, I mean, how can you adjudicate what's moral or immoral when you're taking orders from one of the most immoral totalitarian governments and regimes in all of human history? Tough to do. But ultimately, war right now, before it's a war of, of kinetic uh, guns and bullets, before it's a war of, of, uh, of all-out physical military conflict, it's a war of PR. It's a PR war. And so countries do well. Countries benefit by provoking other countries into using military force. And they can build a narrative against that group of people. Now, some would say, in this case, that um, Israel has provoked the Palestinians and Hamas into attacking them to give them justification to take more military action there in Palestine, in Gaza. Or there are some that would say Israel has provoked Hamas and Iran into attacking them so they could take military action against Iran. In fact, if you listen to the Professor Penn podcast, it was just two, three weeks ago when one of the top Israeli uh, defense ministers, uh, one of the top Israeli uh, military officials, 
came out publicly and said, we're no longer going to accept uh, Iran's support of, of Hamas or, or, or Iran's attack, attacks on Israel by any, through any means, by proxy or otherwise. In other words, we're about to take the fight to Iran because we feel Iran is, is supporting uh, terrorist cells that, that attack or constantly pose a threat to Israel. You can look it up. I mean, it's, it's out there. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight and watching this broadcast. This is Professor Penn bringing you an advertising interlude. We're promoting MyBookie.com. MyBookie.com is part of the Patriot economy, and nothing is more important than you supporting the Patriot economy. That's those businesses and business people that are supporting the freedom movement. That's what we're doing here, spreading freedom from coast to coast and from north to south. Now, next time you go to a game or next time you watch a game, go to MyBookie.com and use promo code Royce and lay down a bet. Bring a little more juice to the action. Bring a little more fun, a little spring in your step. Promo code Royce. That's MyBookie.com, supporting the Patriot economy, supporting all the people and all the businesses that are supporting this freedom movement. We love it. You'll love it. I love it. I've done it. I've had a great time doing it. This is Professor Penn coming to you once again for MyBookie.com, promo code Royce. There'll be a little something special for you if you do it, and thank you very much. This is how the international community deals with military conflict and war, and they don't want, they don't want you to really read that fine print. They're banking on, they're banking on the fact that you have something better to do. Oh, we said it. We said it. Plausible deniability. We're keeping a record. We're starting a paper trail. The paper trail to adjudicate war starts in your newspapers. It starts now in your public online, uh, you know, your, 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 your online publications. It starts now in your social media posts, even. I can't figure out for the life of me why the CIA, FBI, DOD, and, and all these other uh, govern, governing agencies have Twitter and, and Instagram accounts. The Federal Reserve has an Instagram account. I can't for the life of me figure out what that's about. But it's all about record keeping, history. Record keeping, history, paper trail. There's a paper trail for military conflicts. There's a paper trail for war. That's what the United Nations created. Who can, who can build the best paper trail? Who can build the best propaganda or story against their enemies and justify war against them or retaliation against them. This is what we saw with Russia and Ukraine. And people may not like that. People may not like that, but we provoked Russia. No, nobody with any sense can, can argue that putting weapons on a nation's border is not a provocation, is not a provocation, a, a military provocation. Of course it is. And it sets a dangerous precedent. In fact, if you really want to talk about it, if we, if we really want to go deep, <laughs> it sets a dangerous precedent that they would even suggest that we could put weapons, uh, NATO weapons on Russia's border and them not feel provoked. Because what it starts to lead, what it starts to signal, what it starts to clear a path for is that our enemies could come put weapons on our border and us not view it as a provocation. And I'll be damned if we let the CCP Come move weapons up on the Canadian or, or Mexican border, which is why I've said on the show many times, we may in fact have to annex Mexico and Canada in the near future. 
because I'll be damned if some international or global alliance, some international or global political elites carry the precedent, carry the precedence that a, a, a foreign nation, an enemy nation, doesn't observe the Monroe Doctrine when it comes to our, our territorial border. I'll be, I'll be damned if we let the Ukraine and Russia set a precedent that it's okay for international bodies, international alliances, or, or international military collaboratives to set weapons and place weapons on countries' borders and have it not seen as a military provocation. I mean, so there are layers to this, right? There are layers to the implications of war and politics. And all I'm saying to you is I need you all to become more involved. I need you all to pay more attention. That's the point of this podcast. That's always been the point of this podcast since the very beginning. I need you to pay closer attention to what's going on. I need you to accept that these things have nuance. I hear people say all the time, oh, you're going too deep. You're too far out there. Just too Look, you may not be interested in the nuance, but I guarantee you the nuances are interested in you. I guarantee you the people who think with nuance are interested in you. And they're interested in your inability or lack of willingness to, to think with nuance. And hey, if nothing else, if you don't want to think with any nuance, if you don't want to have to deal with the critical thought necessary to prepare yourself, and defend yourself against predatory forces, cast a vote for me. Send a few dollars of support. I'll do the thinking for you. I'll do it for you. Fine. Fine. That's fine. If you don't want to, if you don't want to be bothered, at least vote for some people who want to be bothered. And, uh, and hopefully those people are serious about it. And I don't say that to be arrogant. I'm just telling you the way it is. I mean, this is kind of what constitutional republic and representative democracy is supposed to be all about. The problem is we've accepted leaders who make us feel, feel better about our own inadequacies. We've accepted a brand of leadership in this country from leaders who fail in their leadership, who fail to, to have the courage to actually lead us, who often mislead us, we accept them because they make us feel good about our own inadequacies. They make us feel better about who we are. They make us feel better about what we don't know and what we fail to prioritize. A new day is coming. We get to make the choice about what that day looks like here in America. We get to make the choice about how that day plays out here in America. Here in America, we get to choose our leaders. Not only do we get to choose our leaders, we get to choose how they lead. We get to choose how the narrative is written. We get to choose what we accept. We have a lot of choice in this country. And where choice has been stripped from us, where choice has been taken from us, from an overgrown federal government and administrative state, where, where, where choices, where the choices have been stripped from the citizens, we must become informed and make better choices, harder choices, tougher choices. 
sacrificial choices in some instances. Or, like I always say, you can go home, you can turn on Netflix, you can hope for the best, and you can wait for them to come knock on your door. And hey, maybe they never come knock on your door. That, that is certainly possible as well. It's certainly possible that the, the sophistication of the scam reaches such a height that they never even need to really come and, 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 and engage with you at all. That's certainly possible. In fact, if I was running the scam, that's how I would aim to do it. And in some ways, that's exactly how it's already went down. You're paying seven to eight hundred more dollars on average than you were for the same goods and services this time last year. They've already come and knocked on your door. They're already in your home. They're already in your bank account. They're already in your life. The question is, do you notice it? Have you noticed it? Do you feel it? Do do, do you feel that impending sense of, of danger around the corner? Do you feel the government starting to reach too far? Or is the high too good? Is the distraction too good? Are you going to get bogged down now in a two in a two choice narrative between Israel and Palestine, or are you going to be wise like President Donald Trump was in the in the in the heart of of, of this recent Ukraine Russia conflict there on CNN's town hall and say we just want the killing to stop, we just want the death to stop, we want to be tactical, we want to be strategic. We want, to be, we want to be reasonable in our response. We want to be direct. We want to be definitive. We want to be decisive. But we don't want to get pulled into spiritual culpability. We don't want to get pulled into... into, into uh, damning our own soul in these in these matters in these conflicts we don't we don't want to do that we we want to be smarter than that now i've always had a problem with with um with certain radical uh islamic radical uh islam being a source of, of terrorism, of brutal and violent terrorism. There's no way you can justify terrorism. I mean, come on, guys. All you people on the liberal left need to go pound fucking sand. You walk into, you know, and it's, it's, it's you know, come on. What, what are we talking about? What are we talking about here? And again, you know, you live in this fictitious world. And the reason why the left can have these these arguments about, about uh, you know, taking the Second Amendment away or, or having a, a society with no guns or no ability to defend yourself is because, in, in fact, some of them actually believe in this, in this fictitious fairy tale world where there will be no violence or evil or wickedness. 
because they don't believe in, in evil and wickedness as, a, as an emergent quality uh, of, a, of a metaphysical force. They view wickedness exactly how Marxist, secular, anti-God Marxists wanted them to view wickedness as only the byproduct of a calculation of, of material resource aggregation or, or, or uh, um, you know, resource management, let's say. That's how they want people to view evil and wickedness, as a byproduct of political corruption and, and, and hierarchical mismanagement. They don't want to acknowledge the, the, the devil's existence. They don't want to acknowledge evil's existence, ex except for when they advocate for, uh, you know, allowing the satanic temple to, to come and, and, and have a satanic, uh, you know, Luciferian club at the high school, at the public high school, at the Walker Art Museum here in Minneapolis, Satan Club the Satan Museum or the, the, the Luciferian exhibit, then they can believe in evil. And right, they have this sort of three-front whack-a-mole going on. It's like, we don't believe in God, we don't believe in the devil, it's all a fairy tale, but we're going to promote the devil and Lucifer when we get a chance to either thumb, you know, thumb the eye of Christians or because we actually believe in Satan and we just got you to believe somehow that we don't believe in metaphysical faith. And then on the other end, it's, it's all that metaphysical stuff is not really important. We need to take away your gun rights because guns are the greatest danger to, to children in the country. But, but the Palestinians are oppressed and Hamas, Hamas is justified in their violence The story is so out of control. It's so out of control, it's hard to even talk about. You know, there is no amount of oppression that justifies killing women and children and, and the elderly. And now at the same time, how do I know how many women, children, and elderly were actually killed? I don't know. I don't know because I live here in Minnesota. And this is part of the problem in becoming the protectorate of the entire world. Show us the, vi show us the videos. Show us the pictures. Why is everybody saying it's too graphic to show? We can't even show it. It's so graphic. Yeah. Show it. Show it. What, 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 what is this, what is this uh, you know, what is this thin veil of civility? I mean, we're talking about turning a, par a, 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 a place with 2 million people into a parking lot as retribution for this atrocity. And we, the American people, are what? Too immature or too weak stomach, too weak of stomach to, to see the actual videos and pictures of the atrocity that took place? I mean, I think that creates the, 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 the opportunity and circumstance for distrust and disbelief. I mean, you tell me. If somebody tells you your loved one's dead and you never see the body, you never get a chance to see the body, aren't you going to live with some, some level of doubt, some lack of closure, some lack of surety about what to think happened in that situation? 
Now, obviously, something happened. I don't know, want, want to get crazy with it. But the numbers matter. You know, the numbers matter. The, 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 the nature of it matters, right? I mean, did they cut the heads off of four babies, 40 babies, or didn't they? And if they cut the heads off of 40 babies and the Palestinian people reject and renounce Hamas, then the people there in Palestine have been all but utterly disempowered to fight back against Hamas. I mean, I guess, I guess Israel and Palestine and Hamas, that, that entire dynamic is another, another example and proof positive that when you disarm a certain people for whatever reason, you kind of put, you pin yourself in a corner eventually. Are the Palestinians allowed to have guns? Well, I mean, clearly, they're, they're, they're allowed to have, have guns of some sort. I mean, they're, they're bot. And here, here's another crazy, here's another crazy narrative. Gaza is blocked in. And I had somebody say, oh, well, both. You don't think that the Israeli defenses have a navy that, that guard the, the, the ocean front of Gaza? I mean, how stupid do you have to be to think that Israel would sit there and block off Gaza on two fronts and just let the, the seaport be wide open? Come on. Use your, use your head. Use your brain. Of course they're watching the oceans. Of course they're watching the Mediterranean, right? Of course they are. Come on. Be serious. Now, is it as easy to is it, it is it as easy to secure a border or an ocean as people think? No, of course not. It's not easy to do. No, I'm saying it's easy. It's possible. It's worthwhile. Is even a, a more more better a better way to put it. It's a worthwhile endeavor, and I'm sure they're doing it. They're trying their best to secure that border. How do they get guns into Palestine in the first place? How do they get guns into Gaza in the first place? Anybody ever stop to ask that question? Are they sneaking guns into Gaza? And if so, who? Are there Israeli citizens who are so greedy and wicked and, and, and self-serving that they... Um, that they supply guns, that they transport guns or smuggle guns into Palestine for Hamas or other people uh, for, for money? Actually, that is a problem there in Israel, and there's great penalty. There are people who have been, been, been gotten in serious trouble uh, for doing that type of thing. But that's another element that nobody wants to talk about. That's another element that will just fly under the radar. What do we want the Palestinians to actually do here? We want the Palestinians to denounce Hamas and, 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 and rise up themselves against Hamas and, and uh, give Hamas up, fight Hamas. Let's say that. There should be a collaboration between the Palestinians and, and the, the Israelis to, to go door to door in Palestine and weed out Hamas. Because, in effect, they are terrorists. That's just what it is. 
When you kill innocent women and children and, and, and elderly, you're a terrorist. And if they haven't done that, then they should say it. But it just so happens Hamas claimed responsibility for the attack and the nature of the attack. So we're really past arguing whether these people are terrorists or not. These people openly claim, self-proclaim to be terrorists. You know, I, I just hate that the narrative gets this down in the, in the weeds in the first place, but you kind of have to go there to sort out who's bullshitting and watch the comments, watch the live chats, watch the, watch the rhetoric on, on, your, on your programs, on television. Watch how people talk about it. You can learn a lot from watching and listening to how people talk about a given issue, especially Israel and Palestine. Hamas already claimed responsibility for the attacks. Iran chants death to America. Now, if you're the type of self-hating, self-loathing, uh, you know, cuck, anti-American, Finocchio leftist, global citizen, Finocchio, then you can find some type of workaround excuse to be uh, sympathetic to Iran or, or sympathetic to Hamas or, or sympathetic to any other Muslim or Arab culture that, that feels like modernity in the West is encroaching upon their ability to live the way they want to live. And some of that is actually true. Mm-hmm. Some of that is true. There are some Muslims who reject modernity, who have an animus towards the West because we think we get to push democracy on everybody. The funny thing is, the ironic thing in the situation is, it just so happens to be the Democrat liberals, the post-World War II Democratic liberal order that actually feels a sense of superiority that they can push their ideas of democracy on everybody else. And here we've come to a fork in the road that is about as unintelligible, is about as contradictory and hypocritical as you could possibly imagine. The same Democratic left who says, the same Democratic left, the same liberal left, the same BLM who finds sympathy for Hamas's cause and other Muslim and Arab nations or cultures that are oppressed are the same people who believe that democracy, American democracy, Western democracy and ideology is worthwhile to push on other nations and other cultures. Don't believe me? Go listen to their prophet, Bill Gates. Go listen to prophet Bill Gates talk about uh, effectively neutering black and, and, and brown populations in Africa and the Middle East in pursuit of population control. See, you can't be pro-Hamas and pro-Iran and pro-Muslim and, and pro, um, Arab rejection of modernity and also be pro-Bill Gates. The two don't go together. And you think you're slick. You think that you have such a panoply of belief and political position that we can't put together that we can't string together all of the alliances. So we're trying to play whack-a-mole. Us over here saying American citizens that believe in having a country and believe in an idea like sovereignty end up playing whack-a-mole with all the different beliefs and ideologies. So, oh, no, we don't believe that. 
Oh, the, we don't believe that. They believe that. We don't believe that. We we believe this little variation of it. Give me a fucking break. Give me a fucking break. BLM, you motherfuckers are sellouts. Sellouts, you don't know what you believe. You're getting high. You're getting high and you're trying to pass it off as intelligence. It's offensive. It's offensive. It insults me. I'm spitting on the floor every time I run into you woke BLM Finocchio goofballs. Nobody's following you. Increasingly less and less people are following you. So I don't even know why we have to spend so much time in conservative media combating the idea that BLM activists condone or support Hamas's terrorism. I mean, why do we even have to spend a lot of time on that? Who gives a fuck what these people say or think? Get a gun, learn to shoot it, get your license to conceal and carry in the states where you need it, your permit to carry, your permit to purchase in states where you need it, and be ready to defend yourself because these motherfuckers out here are just that crazy. They really are. And there is no reason. There is no rationale. They want you to believe that there's a rational idea behind there somewhere, and part of us wants to believe it as well so we can feel more comfortable about who we're dealing with. There's nothing rational about these people. I saw a black woman the other day on Instagram make the claim that menstrual blood, that putting menstrual blood on her face was good for her skin. These are the type of people we're dealing with. These are the type of pseudo-intellectuals. These are the type of pseudo-political intellectuals that we're dealing with. These people have been brainwashed and psyoped by the security state. They're so far down a rabbit hole, they don't know which way is up. They're looking for a strong, conservative citizen to slap their ignorance down, slap them into, and, and shake, wake up. They're looking for that. And we fail to do so every time we waver by getting into some silly argument we know we don't have no business in. I mean, we don't have any business in no argument about whether Hamas is, is violent or not. There's no time to argue that. Of course, they're violent. They claim responsibility for the violence. The question is, do they have a claim, do they have a rightful claim to fight back against oppression? And the answer, my friends, the answer is this. Absolutely. Every people everywhere in the world have a right to freedom. They have a right to fight back against oppression. And they have a right as a people who were granted inalienable, God-given rights to decide when they believe, when they believe the government or the forces that preside over them have overstepped the bounds of tyranny, have overstepped the bounds of, of rightful governance into the realm of tyranny. Every free people everywhere has the right to decide that. We do here in America. They do there in Palestine. They do there in Israel. It's like a Russian doll there in Israel. Israel has a right to determine whether or not they're, you know, the, the, the threat of the entire Arab or Muslim world has become too oppressive towards them. I don't necessarily think they could make that claim, but it's not for me to decide. It's for them to decide. And when we, start to, when we start to believe we get to decide what other cultures and people think, we have already conceded the dangerous, dangerous territory in our minds that globalism means to hijack.
We don't have a right to tell anybody else where to live. We need to worry about how we want to live right here in America. And that's the message. The message is, do we support Israel? Yeah. Do we support peace and freedom there in the Middle East? Yes. Do we support the Palestinians to be able to live freely? Yes. All of those things are a yes. Can some of those things happen with, uh, can some of those things happen at the same time? Well, that's the great question, isn't it? That's, that's been the trouble there. And it, will, it looks like it will continue to be the trouble there. When two people, when two groups of people decide they're willing to fight it out for a hundred years, they're going to fight it out for a hundred years. I offered a solution. Well, how about you open up the, how about you open up the border and let the Palestinians, uh, let, let's see, let's see how the Egyptians feel about their Muslim brothers. Will the Egyptians accept the Palestinians into Egypt? And if not, why not? Why do we have to take refugees from Afghanistan when there's a bunch of other Arab countries right there in the region? Why don't they look out for their Muslim brothers if it's all about ideology and, and spiritual faith? But what does it say in the Quran about accepting your Muslim brothers and sisters who are in need? These are good questions to ask now. Why doesn't Egypt take the Palestinians? Why doesn't America take the Jews? We're all pot committed. We're all so staunch about our political positions, or, or even more importantly, our ideological and, and moral position. That's what we're really, that's what we're really signaling is our ideological and moral position. The political position seems clear. We like the conflict there. The conflict there can be used arbitrarily to the advantage and benefit of a number of people who see fit when they see fit. And that's a dangerous precedent. It's a dangerous precedent to parade your moral and ideological convictions around as being genuine when really they're more political than they are moral or, or ideological. It's a dangerous, dangerous precedent, and we're seeing a belly full of it here in America. A bunch of people who want to claim that their, their beliefs and their convictions are moral and ideological when really they're nothing more than political. And they show that contradiction when the conversation gets long enough and we allow them to talk long enough. They show us exactly what I'm talking about. You don't believe in freedom of speech. You don't believe in diversity. You don't believe in the diversity of thought. You believe in the diversity of, of skin. You believe in the diversity of Darwin. You believe in the diversity of science. And you don't even believe in the diversity of that. You believe in a uniformed, credentialized, mainstream, establishment-accepted narrative across all matters. Why? Makes it easy on you. Makes it easy for you to live. Makes it, makes it easy for you not to have to make a choice, not to have to make a decision and live with your decision. Makes it easy for you not to carry the responsibility of being an individual that was granted inalienable rights by God takes the pressure off of you, takes the judgment off of you, and ultimately takes the wrath off of you. See, the great, the great unspoken, the great unspoken evil of communism is that their real goal is to socialize the risk of sin. They really want to socialize sin. They're trying to hedge their bets. 
if we can make everybody a sinner, then maybe God's wrath won't be so heavy. And even though they claim to not believe in God, so many of them still tried to virtue signal as though God exists. And I'm ranting tonight. I, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about this, but I see the contradiction in every direction of the narrative, and it makes me very, very, very frustrated to hear people shout out shit that has no, no chance of making any sense long-term, has no substance to it whatsoever. And even some people who in other cases we view as very, very profound intellectual thinkers such as conservative, uh, conservative star Jordan B. Peterson. And listen, I have one of the first thousand copies of 12 Rules of Life, and Dr. Jordan B. Peterson signed it himself. Why? Because I reached out to Jordan when I was in Canada. Um, in, in support of, of his fight against the Canadian government, which still is one of the serious border threats that, that is posed towards American citizens and, and uh, you know, national security today is a, is a dangerous festering ideology there in, 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 uh, in Ottawa. But I told him that I, I supported his, his, uh, his fight there against the Canadian government because I had spent time in Canada playing professional basketball. Um, so I like Jordan Peterson, and I think, I think his ability to, to speak with nuance and intellectual depth is something that society was deeply, deeply in need of. I mean, deeply in need of. We needed, we needed a person to emerge that, that spoke with some intellectual gravitas, that showed us how to think, that showed us it was okay to critically think. That showed us it was okay to have a, a multi-layered conversation with, with many nuances and, and different considerations. We needed that, and we, we, can, we will continue to need that. And nobody is better at it maybe than, than Jordan in, in recent memory. Although I would say that Steve Bannon and Alex Jones are, are, you know, have, a, have a fair share of their own intellectual contribution to, to offer. And there are some others out there as well. But as far as who has risen up to the, the, the top of the mountain in terms of popularity and reach, surely we all can admit that Dr. Jordan B. Peterson's virality is of a specific nature, a unique, a unique nature. So I give him his credit where it's due. But for him to say that Netanyahu should give them hell as they talk about a military campaign that has no chance of success or has no chance of upholding their, their previously held position of, of moral engagement in that, in, that, in that country, in that region, in that place, is absolutely despicable. It really is. And it's not a fixed position. I'm not saying we should all hop off the Jordan B. Peterson train that's that's not that's not what that's not what I'm saying. People can be wrong. I think Donald Trump is wrong about the vaccine. I hope he changes his position. 
I'm not that that doesn't mean that I don't support him for president in 2024. And it doesn't mean I don't see the value of his particular style of politics in this day and age, because I do. I do support him and I do see why he's dangerous to the establishment. Net positive to the American people. Huey Bono, who benefits from Donald Trump, the American people and American citizenship. Doesn't mean I can't disagree with him. Jordan Peterson has a lot of intellectual fruit to offer society. Doesn't mean I don't disagree with them in some things. And this is one of them. And it's not by accident that, you know, him palling up with Ben Shapiro and, and, and having interviewed Bibi Netanyahu and visited Israel and the whole, the whole uh, um, traditional alliance with, with, with Israel and the position on Israel and the neoconservative movement uh, is, is, is coming to the surface in that whole Daily Wire camp. And I'm glad that Matt Walsh, out of everybody, pushed back and said, wait, 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 wait a second, guys. Hold on. Hold on here. Takes a lot of good ideas to have. It takes a lot of ideas to have a good one. That's something the great Professor Penn always tells me. And it's peculiar because Professor Penn is somebody who I would also say has a lot of intellectual fruit to offer society. It's peculiar that a man who is Jewish, who is a conservative, who believes in God and believes in, in, in the Jewish identity, his own Jewish tradition and heritage and culture, has a far more radical position on Israel than a man who was born in Canada and has, has no real deep-rooted ties to, to Israel or, or the Jewish uh, identity uh, other than being, uh, in effect, a Christian. That's odd. I'd love to be able to I'd love to be able to facilitate facilitate a conversation between Professor Penn and Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Actually, I think I'm gonna work on that this week. Because somebody needs to put some perspective in place here. Give them hell. Enough is enough. Okay, Jordan, in theory, I get it. I get it. Give them hell. Yes. The terrorists. Absolutely. Let's take them alive. Well, they won't be taken alive. We should try and take them alive if we can. We should try and take them alive and we should interrogate them and figure out who's actually behind this. Oh, wait. We already know who's behind it. Iran. They said Iran trained them and they supplied them and they funded them. The Iranians say they don't. We got a chain of custody issue. The Iranians say that China's not backing them. We know that's not the case. Half their GDP is Chinese money, RMB. So there's things that we know and there's things we pretend we don't know. And what we do know is that Hamas can hide themselves in the Palestinian population. Why? Because they've been closed in. And that the only way to get rid of Hamas completely for sure would be to kill all 2 million Palestinians. That, my friends, would be considered a genocide. And furthermore, um, the Palestinians being constrained to a place, an open-air prison, which it is, is, uh, is remnant of... Uh, 
what I think the global elites uh, want to turn many places to all across the world. You could argue that Gaza is the first 15-minute city. You could make a strong argument that, that minus the, the technology and the posh aesthetics of, of, of a fourth industrial revolution and, and all of the, 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 the yuppie, the yuppie uh, uh, you know, um, advanced robotics and, and convenient electric cars and whatnot, you could argue that Gaza is the pilot, is, was the first pilot for a 15-minute city. And how would you like it? I mean, how would you like it? Some of you leftist liberals out there, some of you, some of you conservatives who are pro fourth industrial revolution, automation, robotics, so on and so forth. Uh, yay, the advancement in technology is always a net positive. How would you like it if you lived in a 15 minute city and you had a terrorist group um, pop up uh, in your midst? in that 15-minute city, and they decided to attack um, a, a neighboring power, let's say, far, far more superior in military uh, equipment and, and military prowess than you. And those people, after attacking that power, came back and hid themselves amongst you, and then that power decided they had no choice but to wipe everybody out because, hey, this is where these, these terrorists came from. How would you like that? Is that fair? Is that just? Is that just? I mean, we have to ask ourselves these questions. How is Israel going to identify Hamas? These are the basic fundamental questions we have to ask. I don't want to hear the bullshit. Let's be serious now. How are they going to identify these people? If they, have in, if they had intelligence good enough to, to be accurate with their identification ex post facto after the attack, is it conceivable that they would have been attacked with their guard down in the first place if they had that type of surveillance? They don't have that type of surveillance. Or, I mean, the other way is to the implication of the other, the other way is just, is just too much to bear, to, too much to... To, to discuss in this one city. If they have that type of, they don't have that type of surveillance. Right now what we're seeing is the narrative about Israel's defenses is, is somewhat of a house of cards. They don't have that level of intelligence. And it's even more dangerous because America relies on Israel for a lot of our intelligence in the region. They don't have that type of intelligence. And because they don't have that type of intelligence, I'm very, very um, I'm very skeptical that they're going to be able to go into Palestine and 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 weed out or or identify Hamas with any efficiency, with any precision. And so you start to ask yourself, who are they bombing right now? How do they know where these people are? And if they know where these people are the entire time, why didn't they go get them before? These are the questions that people have to start to ask. And I'm not saying it to be anti-Israel, and I'm not saying it to be 
pro-Palestine or vice versa. I'm not saying it to be anti-Palestine or pro uh, or or, or um, you know pro-Israel. I don't look at problems like that. I want to talk about what we know. What are the facts? What do we know? What can we what what can we say with some type of confidence? What we can say is that a conflict has been brewing here for a long time. Very few solutions have been able to to very very few solutions have been proposed, uh, uh, you know, proposed, let alone reached. And it's created a certain moral hazard here where it's very hard to tell who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Chicken before the egg, cart before the horse. We're having trouble now. And then it's going to be hard to adjudicate justice. It's going to be hard to act in a way that's just. It's going to be hard to act in a way that doesn't have ramifications, that wound the spirit, that wound the soul. These are the the cautionary tales that many of us around the world need to understand as we look forward to the future and how to build the future. No easy answers. No easy answers here. All the easy answers are behind us. All the easy answers are behind us now. My thoughts and prayers are with everybody that's been affected by this this violence in Israel, in Palestine, in the region surrounding, in the entire Middle East. My thoughts and prayers are with everybody there in, in the Ukraine and in Russia that are affected by that violence. My thoughts and prayers are with everybody who's affected by the violence of our open southern border. My thoughts and prayers are with the, 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 the people who are affected um, by the flood of drugs into our, into our country, into our neighborhoods. I think about the terror that the Mexican people or that the people in Central and South America face at the hands of the cartel. My thoughts and prayers are with them. My thoughts and prayers are with the single mom who has to work two jobs and still can't afford gas because her government is inflating the prices of, of basic goods to crush her. My thoughts and prayers are with her. My thoughts and prayers are with you. These are dangerous times. These are somber and dark times. And the only thing you can do is pray, be prepared, and continue to, to be your, your own biggest advocate in the fight for freedom and citizenship. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy. We appreciate your viewership and listenership today and in the future. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.